cameras are held up. They're ready to film. Are they about to film history? 40-30 serves deep, blocked back, mid-court ball. Djokovic goes inside and forehand is skewed and Djokovic makes history. He raises his arms aloft and he roars. A simply stunning performance from Novak Djokovic from start to finish. An embrace at the net and Novak Djokovic completes the career golden masters. It is title number 70, masters title number 31. He completes the set. Incredible from Novak Djokovic. He is a history maker, completing the career Golden Masters and beating Roger Federer in the process. Five finals, five defeats. It turns out to be sixth time lucky for Novak Djokovic, who picks up his second title of 2018. Following on from Wimbledon, he is the Cincinnati Masters champion, and you are listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Lovely to have you with us. It's, you feel, Gigi Sam alongside Naomi Cavaday, the final has just finished, but you feel you need to sit down, you need to soak it up, and you need to take a breath because, Naomi, that was, that final, the feeling was electric from the very first ball. It was, it was just, it, awesome it was just so good every single point just had so much on it so much meaning there were so many fantastic shots and yeah it's going to take a little while to wind down from uh, what we've <laughs> just seen and before the match we had hoped we thought this could be the best final that we've seen all year absolutely is it incredibly was it was a 46th meeting between them Djokovic went in leading 23-22 and Roger Federer hadn't beaten him since Cincinnati in 2015 but the the roller coaster ride that Novak Djokovic has been on in the last year or so to see this comeback, to see those fires burning, to see Djokovic coming back to where he was, is a really really nice sight. Oh wow, it's it's not surprising, but but it's just so impressive how quickly it's happened, and it, it's just coming back. And it, it looked like it was just time away. That's all it was at the very beginning of his comeback. We think back to Indian Wells and Miami earlier in the year. He really looked like he was struggling with motivation still, and there were a lot of question marks about how long will it take for him to get back to the top some people saying not a lot of people but some people wondering whether he would get back to the top but then after that I mean it hasn't looked back just got better and better he was unbelievably good at Wimbledon I mean to win that slam uh, after losing the final of Queens that was excellent but the clay as well I mean losing to Marco Cecchinato at the French Open then he said he didn't want to play the grass court season he was just going to bag it completely <laughs> like Federer's done for the clay court season he wasn't in the mood and then he comes and he makes the final of Queens and he wins Wimbledon uh, playing such a high level of tennis it was so fabulous to see him back and then to come to Cincinnati off the back of that and to play even better even better in that final. We've not seen Djokovic play like that. That is him back to his best. Federer could not keep up. I remember a friend of mine was in a restaurant in Paris the night of the Cecanato victory over Novak Djokovic when he'd gone into the wrong press room and he'd said, oh, I might not even turn up on the grass. And Marion Vida, Djokovic's coach, was in there. Djokovic wasn't, but the rest of the team were. And one of the people at this table where my friend was actually said to Marion Vida, what do you mean he's not going to play the grass? Marin Vice said, don't worry, he's going to be there on the grass. And uh, he was right and very happy. Final at Queen's, winning Wimbledon. And with Marion Vida in mind, it has made such a difference. Going back to the team, a lot of things were going on. He made the decision to disband the band. They are back together and they are back up the charts. It's impressive, isn't it? It works. <laughs> I don't think anyone can doubt that it works. The combination is absolutely fantastic. Marion Vida clearly does such a brilliant job. And, you know, it is a very difficult thing, particularly if you've had a split with somebody in this sort of situation. Very difficult thing to come back and stamp your authority on it. It's a difficult thing to come back anyway, because you might not be able to fix things. And that's what he was asked to do. He was asked to help Novak find the old Novak, the 2015 Novak. It was, where is it? You've got to help me find it. I can't find it. He, you know, he had struggles with injuries and all sorts. Um, that is a tough task. He's already done it once. But the first time it happened, because he hadn't had any injuries, it was the accumulation of year on year. It was building block by building block. It took years to get there. Um, so to even it's quite daunting to even think about doing it again if you're Marion Vida. But I mean, huge credit to him to to take it on. I think that's a brave decision because it may not have worked. He may not have been able to help, but to come back, stamp his authority, tell Novak, you're doing this wrong. This is wrong. This has got to go. This person's out. 
that's the way I see it. And Djokovic, being incredibly coachable and willing to listen, uh, said, OK. Yeah, no, he had to he had to be open to it. What was the most impressive thing for you about Djokovic's game this week? Just how tidy it was. I mean, in the final, he's playing against Roger Federer, somebody who puts you under relentless pressure, is coming at you all the time. I mean, we, we see what happens to all players against Roger Federer. They just crumble into dust most of the time. But Djokovic, I mean, I counted two sloppy points. One in the first set, one in the second set. That was it. That was absolutely it. And actually, it wasn't even a sloppy point. Both of them weren't sloppy points. It was just one shot. It was just a backhand on, on either point that wasn't particularly well executed. Everything else was just phenomenally tidy. He clearly had his plan. He knew what he was doing. He knew how to execute it. And he knew that because of the matches he's had and because of how in form he is, he knew he was going to. And he just didn't look surprised at all. A hundred consecutive holds from Roger Federer in Cincinnati. Yes, he missed 2016 and 2017. And then on the 101st, he was broken. And he was also a very ruffled Roger Federer. Didn't look happy, did he? Because he couldn't have it all on his own terms. And even when we've seen Federer lose, um, there is an element of Federer is playing his match and maybe he just can't play well. Uh, maybe he can't get quite in the right position, but it feels like it's kind of all about him. He tends to dictate the energy of matches. Um, he dictates what's going on down the other end. He absolutely dictates on his own service games. I mean, that is just what happens without question. But Djokovic took it all away from him. I mean, Djokovic was dictating that match from the very beginning. He was winning the vast, vast majority of points from the back of the court. He was rushing Federer. The amount of shots Federer was rushed on, he never looks rushed. He was flustered. He was angry. He was, he was having a go at somebody in the crowd. He was having a go at the umpire. He, and, and all of this really unnecessarily so. The reason for it all was that Djokovic was not allowing him to play his game. And he just, I don't think he's felt like that since he played Novak Djokovic, probably in 2015, at his best. Um, even when he plays the likes of Nadal or Vavrinka or anyone else, even when he loses, there's still so much of it that is on his terms. And I think something like Nadal, it's, it's very much Federer coming up against a wall and he just, maybe sometimes he just can't get, quite get past it or the surface really helps out and, he, and he, he's just not feeling uh, like he can play his best tennis and get through him on, on that particular day. Um, but Djokovic just dictated. Immediately afterwards, we were getting tweets in the commentary box saying, is this the end of Federer? This is the end of Federer. That is something that will always happen, I think, when he loses a match from now on. But also the discussion about the scheduling of Roger Federer. He is 37 years of age. He cannot play as full a schedule as he has ever played. But people saying it, it just wasn't enough. Losing Wimbledon as he did to Kevin Anderson, who has tweeted that a, a week on from Jockerson, the Djokovic-Anderson-Toronto doubles pairing, is that a coincidence that Djokovic is uh, now winning? <laughs> a nice tweet, from Kevin, nice tweet from Kevin Anderson. But people saying about Roger Federer, maybe it was a mistake not to play Toronto. It's a very difficult call, isn't it? Um, I, you know, look, he made the final. It's not like he played poorly and then he crashed out in the first round. Um, you know, he did play well through the week. Definitely, he actually played better than I thought right from the beginning. But it's just that then the level didn't improve quickly. The, for the first couple of rounds, I was quite impressed. And I thought, OK, he's had a bit of a gap and he's come back firing. But then he just kind of stayed at that level through the tournament. And then I thought, well, maybe he'll up it in the final. And he, and he was trying. Boy, was he trying, but he just couldn't find it. And that must be because of the lack of match practice, because it catches up with you through the year and it's difficult yes he needs to look after his body because if he can't get on the court then what's the point in playing well but then also if he if he's fit and healthy and feeling absolutely perfect but then he's not playing great well then you know what's the point in missing huge tournaments which he's gutted to miss as well you know it's a difficult thing to weigh up um you know I think that you know maybe playing uh, in Toronto would have uh, benefited him, but you know it's tough because if you're Roger Federer, you have to assume you're reaching the finals, right? And it's five matches. It's not, it's not kind of a tournament that maybe I'll go deep in. Uh, you you look at what he's done all year, uh, what he did all of last year. You, you know, he's not being unreasonable to assume that he'll be at the back end of the tournament. No, it's just his fifth defeat in 2018. So, Novak Djokovic, is he now installed as your US Open favourite? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, no one has played that level of tennis all year, what we just saw in the final from Novak Djokovic. Um, I, I feel like last year, in the first few months, uh, in 2017, when Federer won the Australian Open, he did the Sunshine Double with uh, Indian Wells and Miami. Uh, 
that I think he reached the level of Djokovic, but that's that's almost 18 months ago now. That's quite some time ago, um, and we haven't seen that from Federer since then uh, at all. Um, and I think that his level is a little down. Uh, and Djokovic is playing the best tennis out there. I, I, I tell you what I was thinking of when I was watching that final is. Wow, I wish Djokovic was playing in this sort of form over the clay because wouldn't that final against Nadal, hopefully if he had been in the final, because yeah, of course he's yeah. ranked a bit lower, but oh, we could have fixed it so that it had worked out <laughs> like that. I mean, boy, would have that been great. I mean, I, I would have been first in with my hand with the, with the numbers that come out for the, for the draw, making sure that Djokovic was in the other half, but maybe next year. Your, your highlights from the Western and Southern Open 2018, someone that stood out, someone who didn't, questions that were answered, questions that still need answers. Where would you like to start? Well, um, well, I think, do you know what? I mean, the, the standout for me is the semi-final lineup. You know, it feels like we're kind of back in business with it, really. OK, we're missing Nadal. He wasn't able to play. But to have Djokovic, Cilic, Goffin and Federer, it's almost like order is restored. We've had a, a couple of tournaments where we've had unseeded players through to the semi-finals, which has been absolutely fantastic to watch. And it's great to get the new names out there. But Goffin has been having a bit of a hard time. So great to see him back in form. Cilic is just doing his thing, playing consistently well. Again, always underestimated. But to have that lineup with those four, it's just something oddly comforting about. It. Nick Kyrgios entertained us. He did, didn't he? <laughs> didn't he? I hope he can just sort his body out. I mean, he was uh, he was fantastic. There was, you know, there was enough action in in his couple of matches to last us the whole week, really, wasn't it? <laughs> and Stan Wawrinka, really good to see Stan Wawrinka playing this level of tennis. So good, so so good. I, you know, watch out for the U.S. Open. Do I think he can win it? No, I don't. I don't think he's ready for uh, seven uh, best of five set matches. Uh, but I think he can go deep. And I think if he draws one of the big names early, he could take them out. So he could really shake things. Up, but I don't think he'll then go on to take the title. Naomi Cavaday, it's been a pleasure to have you alongside me. This is, though, not the end of this week's ATP Tennis Radio podcast because throughout the week, our reporter on the ground, Seb Lozier, has been speaking to the great and good who have been at the Western and Southern Open, and here for you are his best bits. I'm back in the players' dining room and uh, very happy to be joined once again this season by Ivan Sinkus, coach of Marin Cilic. Ivan, first of all, thank you. Thank you very much. No problem. Anytime. How has Marin been after the Rogers Cup and, and that in incredible match, really, against Rafa, where he was off the charts for the first set and then Rafa came back at him? How, how have you picked him up? Yeah, the first set was unbelievable. And uh, even he had a chance in the first game with a break point and everything, but... Rafa was a little bit uh, start to put uh, the ball deeper, you know, and uh, Martin was a little bit going back, and that, that's enough for uh, Rafa. Just give him uh, like one, two easy shots, you know, and uh, mistakes, and he's come back, you know. How can you help Marin really capitalize on that situation more against those players ranked above him to, to really hammer home that advantage when he's a set up? What uh, I'm doing is like uh, uh, keep him uh, positive, you know, and keep him going that uh, what he's doing on the court, even if he miss, that it's good, you know, because uh, with really uh, top 10 players, uh, you need to, uh, every point you need to uh, make it and uh, make, uh, it's not the winners, you know, you need to prepare and make uh, the other player to run. And it's uh, maybe, maybe it's like, uh, you can give him, maybe the player can give you maybe one uh, one shot to mistake, but not two, three. And then if you make it like this, it's uh, difficult to come back because the Rafa, Federer, they are like knowing when they need to to hit you, you know, with uh, good shots, you know. It was Marin's first competitive tennis, tour tennis, since Wimbledon. Um, why Why such a long break? Uh, first he go uh, seven days on vacation a little bit because uh, a little bit stress of the Wimbledon but uh, after that we, we were like having 14 days really good practice uh, 10 days in uh, in Croatia and then four or five days uh, in Toronto and uh, for him it's uh, he needs to feel that he's uh, good with the body with the, with the, with the game you know and uh, I think also it's uh, when you go on a tournament every week you're not, you cannot develop anything, you know, and uh, what uh, we do is like uh, in that two, three weeks, what we have is uh, a little bit uh, talking, a little bit uh, 
physically he, he improved and uh, also with the, with the game, you know, that uh, he's more motivated and uh, focused about uh, the rest of the year. So it's almost like a, a mid-season training block, a little bit like you do in the off-season. But w- what do you do physically in that time? Physically is like, uh, most of the time all is is the same. You know, he's working with uh, uh, one day legs and uh, sh- shoulders. The other day is like uh, chest, uh, biceps, and then uh, the back. But uh, also we do a couple of things, uh, running and uh, also with the physical coach, uh, we do on uh, tennis, you know. So he's not running on the track mill or uh, bicycle, we do that on the court. So this is, we do everything in one. And arriving here in Cincinnati or in Mason, um, this is a wonderful time of year for Marin, of course, and he's on a six-match winning streak here in Cincinnati. The last thing he did in, in Cincinnati was beat Andy Murray, then world number two, to, to win the title. So he must arrive here feeling feeling good. Well, yeah, of course, yeah. I was with him uh, when he won that tournament and uh, it was uh, really good and uh, always the memory that uh, you won a tournament and this is uh, really nice and he feel good, you know. And uh, I hope we, we keep going like this. The likes of Andy and, and Novak and Stan and Kay all coming back roughly at the same time. How does Marin kind of respond to that? Does he, do you talk about the fact that all these you know, big players who've been right at the top of the game are, are coming back into the fold and how he's going to deal with that? Well, we are not talking about it. It's like we are expecting that they are coming back. You know, It's just that uh, we need to see how they... Uh, uh, playing their matches, you know, how they're feeling and uh, are they on a top level or still like shaky so this is like something what we are talking about we are not, we are not talking about that uh, it's like uh, they are coming so it's something that we need to worry about, you know And here in Cincinnati, it's a, it's a pretty chilled out place, Mason, you know, it's, it's nice, it's relaxed, what, what do you do to I know Marin's a pretty chilled out guy as well what do you do to keep uh, keep yourselves busy and to, and to relax yeah. what we do we go to the cinema and uh, or sometimes stay in the room uh, order something watch uh, movies or uh, a couple of games or we go to outlet it's <laughs> something to buy for uh, our wives and like this but okay we, we have fun you know? it's not that uh, the most important is like every day is the same for the players so we need to keep relaxing a little bit with that and for you, I know you had your family with you in, in Rome, which is a little bit easier. It's a bit closer. Presumably, they, they don't come to America. I know, I know, I know. It's like two children, eh, two kids. It's like not so easy to, to come. When they may be uh, growing a little bit, maybe in two or three years, when they are a little bit older, so then they will come. Have they put their order in yet for the merchandise store? Because there's a lot you can get them in that merchandise store, I tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always like this. But my son is like, for the soccer now, he's like, Ronaldo, Real Madrid, like this, and uh, especially what the World Cup was great for the Croatia. So he was watching every game. So I was enjoying about it. I was going to ask you actually about Croatia and the World Cup. I mean, that must have been incredible. I know you and Marin are both huge soccer fans. What were you doing during the World Cup? I can't remember what what sort of time was it. It was Wimbledon, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Wimbledon, and then we come back, uh, and then uh, when they coming back uh, from uh, Russia, the people I was on the main square with my son and uh, my wife and it was uh, it was like waiting for six hours and then my son said okay uh, dad I'm hungry and then we go because but it was so full it was like 150,000 people and it was so difficult to go but uh, go outside and then we go eat something and then uh, we come back and uh, it was like till eight nine o'clock and we were there t- uh, from uh, 12.30. Did you consider trying to get a ticket, you and Marin? Did you, did you talk about maybe going, trying to go to the final? Uh, no, no, we didn't. We didn't because it's like uh, we, he needs to do a little bit uh, rest. We practice a couple of days and then uh, he go on vacation, I go, and then it was like this. But it was uh, really unbelievable what, they, what the people do uh, in Zagreb and they come from all over the Croatia to see the soccer players. Just finally, Ivan, um, in case I don't get a chance to talk with you again, US Open, literally round the corner. Um, he's a former winner there. It's a special time of year for him in that regard as well. Um, 
does it feel like he's timing his run? Do you, do you feel like he's building momentum towards Flushing Meadows? I think it's uh, what, what how he play in, in Toronto is like giving you, uh, for him especially, giving him uh, confidence uh, in in his game. And uh, for me, it's also that uh, we do a good uh, good practice, good stuff for for him and for me. And uh, I hope that uh, he will uh, play really good. You know, I'm always worried a little bit about first second round. You know, but after that, it's like he start to feeling better and better. I'm delighted to talk with Karen Hatchinov, um, the new world number 27 uh, as of yesterday. Congratulations for that and thanks for talking to us on ATP Tennis Radio, Karen. And I know you aspire to reach a far higher ranking than the one that you have now, uh, 27. Um, but do you sort of celebrate every every number that you go up? What, what does it mean to you to reach a new high? I mean, this is like uh, middle steps that you are reaching. So I'm happy. We, of course, we're happy with my team that I'm moving forward and uh, rising up in the rankings. But uh, normally you celebrate when you have great result or you win the tournament. So, <laughs> Well, you say great result. I mean, it comes off the back of your best ever Masters 1000 in Toronto. You, you mentioned that you had a really quick turnaround because of that. How do you reflect on that week now, looking back on it as a whole? Yeah, of course, I'm I'm really happy, you know, um, it shows that hard work pays off, you know, to play on the big tournaments against big guys, that's what I'm really looking for and I think everybody wants to, you know, so that's why I'm I'm proud that I can, I, I could uh, play my good level of tennis and I could compete against uh, uh, good guys, best, best guys and uh, yeah, so I hope it's just... Uh, Big, big step in my uh, career and uh, hopefully I can um, do even better so yeah and all this under a, a new coach this season Vedran uh, Martic how, how has he changed things okay I mean uh, of course uh, new coach uh, you hear new new voice you know <laughs> and especially we know each other with Vedran from younger younger age when I was junior so um, we, we were always having good relationship like friendly relationship even when we were not working these years so I'm happy that he started to help me again and uh, uh, it's it's a mix of everything we were, we were practicing a lot on different things let's say on surf and uh, he sees some things uh, maybe different that I could change or I could improve so it's a b- big amount of work together. I was going to ask, how has he changed your game? Or well, I, I know you won't want to say too much about it, but how, how has he how has he changed the the way you're approaching the game? I mean, he sees me as a big hitter, the guy who plays aggressive. Of course, we spend a lot of hours on serve, and we do it now as well. You know, in every tournament, um, just. Uh, also, mental mental thing. He he helps me to to stay more positive. Has good atmosphere in the team, and yeah, just uh, keep working on uh, all the things with all my team. You know, like physical. Still, I think I improved. Also, I got a little bigger, faster. So, it's a big amount of work that you try to put together, and then you will have the result. So I'm delighted to be joined in the players' dining room, a very busy one again, by Misha Zverev uh, now. Um, Misha, I've been looking forward to talking to you. We almost uh, spoke in Monte Carlo, where of course you live. We'll come on to that. But um, it feels like a breakthrough year, and in many ways it's a good job we've waited till now, because of course you've had a massive breakthrough since then. Your first career title at the age of 30, the grand old age of 30. Definitely nice. How special was that? Very special, especially because... I wanted, you know, one day I wanted to retire from tennis and say that I at least have uh, won at least one uh, ATP t- title, and um, I was able to do it this year at the age of 30. So it was very special and emotional, and um, I was happy I could achieve that. At Eastbourne, of course, on grass as a serve volleyer, and I'm so pleased you're a serve volleyer. I think it's a lost art in the game. It's fitting in a way that it was on grass. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, I saw the draw and I realized there's not one serve volley in the draws except for me. So I thought maybe maybe I have a good chance if I if I do well if I serve well and don't miss too many easy volleys maybe it'll you know become a good week for me and that's exactly what happened. Um, I, I think I played very well, especially against um, you know guys like uh, Johnson and, and Shapovalov in the second and third round. And um, yeah, after that you know reaching semis and finals, I felt like um, I felt like I, I really 
wanted to win and I feel like I have a good chance because, you know, they're not guys that are ranked like top 10 or top 15. So, you know, if you look on paper, like I was I was almost the favorite to win those matches and um, a little bit of pressure, obviously, but um, I'm, I'm happy I was able to to handle it and, and play well. I was going to ask, how heavy did the racket feel on match point? Actually, match point was okay because for some reason, um, the last couple service games I held to love and on match point was 40 love up and and when you're fully love up and you're serving, you break up. You know, it's it's obviously you think about it, but you feel um, you feel pretty confident. Now I don't know whether you're aware of this. I was looking at uh, the rankings, All right. and I sorted by tournaments played this year. Yeah, you've played more tournaments than anyone else on yes. the ATP tour. <laughs> Thirty-four tournaments. Why why is that? And did you set uh, out to do that? Well, I thought, why not? You know, I. Uh, I mean, my wife travels with me most of the time, so it's like, you know, my, my family's on tour, so it's not like I'm, I'm getting homesick and I want to come home and, and stay there and train. So, you know, I felt like as long as I'm healthy and I'm enjoying it, why not? Because there's a lot of great tournaments out there, and I've just, I just enjoy playing. I enjoy traveling, and, um, you know, I can, I can rest when I retire. I can, you know, stay home for longer periods of time and, um, and do that later. So for now, I, I do enjoy, you know, doing what I do, and um, I, I'll try to just play. Favorite tournament? It's, it's hard, but I always enjoy playing Halle a lot because you just, you know, you're right there. You, you can train as much as you want. You stay basically right next to center court. We always get the room with the view on, on grandstand, you know, court one, whatever you call it. So it's, it's just a great, great facility. Now, two unknown facts about you, or unknown to me at least. You're a fisherman. Yeah. What do you fish and, and where do you I fish? Don't, I don't fish that often, but I do enjoy fishing a lot. I mean... Uh, uh, when we're in Florida, we do a lot of bass fishing and um, deep sea fishing, not so much. Uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot of fish in Monaco, so, you know, <laughs> I got to put that on pause over there. But I, I, I love fishing. I love watching the, you know, like bass tournaments, like fishing channels and all that. I, it just calms me down. It's very relaxing. You know, in the U.S., I think if you wake up on a Saturday, Sunday morning, you turn on, I think, ESPN2, whatever it is, they, they show some bass tournaments most of the time. And I find it very relaxing and enjoying the other um, unknown fact, yeah. uh, to me at least, you got a pilot's license. Yes, so, that's, so, that's true. So how did that happen? When did it happen? And why did it happen? Um, I've been always fascinated with, with airplanes and aviation. I just, to me, it was incredible that like such big things, metal pieces out there just flying flying around and then carrying passengers from A to B. So I just, I was always fascinated. I thought it was cool. And um, yeah, we, we bought a house in Florida in 2009. And uh, we have a landing strip right next to us. And then every time the planes would, like, go for landing, like, they would fly over our house. And it was, like, kind of nice but kind of annoying. So I was, like, one day I just grabbed my car keys and went over there. And I was, like, okay, can I go fly as well? And um, that's when I started. And in 2012, I got my license. And it was actually, like, a couple days before the U.S. Open. Instead of, like, getting ready for the U.S. Open qualities, I was uh, finishing up my, my pilot's license. And I got it. And since then, I've been flying. And do you get up much? Um, recently, not too often, but um, yeah, maybe I thought maybe once I, you know, I'm done with tennis, maybe I'll then devote more time to flying. And my goal is maybe to rent a plane or buy a plane and just go from Florida with like a lot of stops and like in different um, different states, and then go to up to Alaska. Now, what's more known, I guess, is that you moved from Russia yes. at the age of four. Yeah. Do you remember that? Do you, do you have any memories yeah, of, yeah, of yeah, Moscow? I yeah, I do remember Moscow. I, I remember our old, old apartment, the area where we lived at. And um, yeah, I do I do uh, remember Moscow when I go back there. I do enjoy it. Like, it feels, you know, kind of special because I was born there. I was, um, I've lived there for a little bit. And I know my parents are from that country as well. So it, it does bring back some, you know, memories and emotions. So, um, yeah. And you mentioned your parents. Your, your dad was a player, of course. Do you, yeah. do you remember him playing? Um, well, he quit like shortly after I was born, but I do remember him playing like club matches in Germany and stuff like that. So my mom was a player, even my grandma was a player. So yeah, the whole family kind of played tennis. And now, of course, little brother plays yeah, tennis. Little, little well. brother plays a little <laughs> a tennis little bit, too. Yeah, a little bit. Every once in a while, he so, does well. So t tell me, you're, you're sort of ten, eight, nine, ten years on tour, whatever it was. Yeah. By yourself. Yeah. And then along comes Sasha. Perfect. It's like how, it helps me. Like, look, how did I'm that change things? Yeah, I'm playing my best tennis right now because I, I enjoy traveling even more. So, because like I said, you know, you have your family in tour, and then you have you have your brother who's also playing, who's you know doing well. So, like, whenever I have a bad week and he has a good week, it still you know ends up being a positive week for everyone. And it's like um, you know you, you take home or you take like positive emotions to the next tournament and. 
and it's just it's a lot of fun and um, you know when I lose let's say second third round but I have my brother going semis finals I can you know I still have access to the tournament I can you know still go to the center court watch some good matches of him and and enjoy it and, and we can train together you know we, we we try to make each other better we push each other in, in practice sets and they get very competitive and sometimes very emotional too but um, no it's a lot of fun it's great you say it helps you I mean it must seriously help the fact that you're you're yeah. playing with you know with Sasha yeah have you noticed that your game has improved I, th- I think yeah I think so I think the last couple of years were I would say my best years and um, especially the better he plays the better I try to play because I want to catch up with him you know and um, we, we're working together I mean working out together and um, we have a, I think we're pretty big team but a very good team and a strong team that you know they take good care of him and also um, I have to say thank you to every team member because they also take care of good they take good care of me and they make me you know a better athlete a healthy athlete and they they make me achieve new new goals and, and big things and how old were you when you realized that Sasha was going to be a tennis player as well uh, I was from day one I knew he was going to become a tennis player. there was no not really plan B not that like I wouldn't allow it, but I just felt like, you know, I think he's, he has the potential because I always believe that he has the touch, you know, the ability to, you know, handle any kind of balls, whether it's like golf balls, soccer balls, you know, whatever it is, like he's basketball, he's, he's always good with his hand and eye coordination and um, I just always felt like he was going to be a good player. And your first tour match together, of course, now has yeah. has happened. It could have happened in Monte Carlo. You were one win away, I think, from playing yeah, him. Monte Carlo and you lost to Gasquet. Yeah, that unfortunately, been I lost nice. to Richard. But because uh, that's where you live. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun for me. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I will. And um, playing in Washington. Yeah, playing in Washington it was it was incredible. I was I was very very happy. It was a little emotional too, and I think. Um, because I just know that like my parents have gone through a lot. They also raised um, not only two sons but also two tennis players. And then watching them play against each other at a big tournament on a big court is uh, something special. Did the game go how you thought it would? Um, I mean, I, I mean, I've kind of felt like he, he has the better chances to win because he's a he's a very good player. But um, yeah, I think I think well, it went okay. It went well, like. Uh, yeah, kind of as I expected, maybe. But you, I mean, you're obviously playing a, a guy who's a defending champion there. Yeah. He, he's, he's the high-ranked player, but you go into the game wanting to win and presumably thinking that obviously. you know how to beat him. No, I, I do know how to beat him, and I try, I try to beat him, but, you know, in the end it didn't quite work out. But um, it was, yeah, it was just, in the end it was just a tennis match I wanted to win. But, um, yeah, if you look back at it, it was more than just that. And you were playing doubles as well. You, yeah. you played doubles together a lot. Yeah. Um, how does that help you and Sasha? And doubles can help you if you if you know what you want to work on in that doubles um, that you play because you know it can help you with your, your reaction skills and your volleys and like just sometimes it's also different because in singles you just look at the ball you don't care about where the opponent is kind of because he's not moving at the net not trying to distract you and in doubles exactly that's what's happening because you, you try to return but then the net person tries to like move last second so you can distract you and. And kind of helps you to focus on your shot a little bit. That's at least what I feel. And um, I think also when you play doubles, like you, you kind of work on your returns. And then like when you play singles, all of a sudden the court feels so big because you just don't have anyone at the net trying to like um, poach. So um, it, it helps me a lot. It also relaxes me because it like enjoy. I enjoy playing with my brother. It's like it, it is stressful, but it's really not stressful because it's just like a, it's a fun thing for us. And um, so. I mean, I don't know how it helps him. You should ask him. But I think, um, you know, every time we play doubles, he kind of does well in the tournament. So we try to keep that routine going. And I, I read that um, you'd actually sort of not fallen out of love with the game, but you were considering yeah. you know, your, your career and things. You, you, you look to have found, you know, the, the, the fire back. Yeah. Oh, you're 30 now. It's still fairly young in tennis terms. How, how, how much longer do you think we'll see you out there? Uh, as long as I stay healthy and I play okay, so this is th- those two are my main goals. I want to first a stay healthy and stay strong, and even maybe become stronger with age, even though it's very hard. But I have to do even more work off the court. And um, as long as I maintain my fitness and health, um, I'll try to also you know develop my game. I try to like learn new things and improve my skills every time I go on court. And as long as I find it enjoyable and it's fun out there and, and I still win a few matches here and there, like I'm going to try to keep on doing it as long as I can. Well, we wish you all the best. Thank, Thank you, very, you much. very much. Good luck Thank this week. Thank you. Thank you very much.
I am with Wayne Bryant, father of Bob and Mike, and we're sitting under one of the many uh, beautiful trees here in the Lintner Family Tennis Centre. They offer shade from the sun, Wayne, which is very important. This place has grown beautifully, hasn't it? I mean, the landscaping, they've got so many more courts. The fans have grown by leaps and bounds. This thing is expanding, which is really great to see. Like Indian Wells, we've seen such growth in Miami and all those great Master Series events. But this one, right along with everybody else, is really growing. Great to see, Seth. We've just had the double showdown, which you uh, host. Anyone would think you like doubles, Wayne? Well, I think doubles is amazingly exciting. You know, they always have the top 10 points at the U.S. Open, and they're always singles points. I guarantee you, there's 50 points on the doubles court that are more exciting than any singles point has ever been. I mean, you got guys forward, back, diving, hitting, smacking, reaching. It's strategic. I mean, I really think, I'm not knocking singles. I love singles. Of course I love singles. I love Roger, love Roger everybody. But I think really singles is checkers and doubles is chess. It's a more complex game. You got more people out there. There's more things that can go on. There's more tactics. There's more strategy. And for juniors, I think there's more smiles on the doubles court. It's something all kids should play because it rounds out tennis skills. When you think of a doubles player, you think of a guy who can serve, return, and volley. Uh, sometimes in singles, you could be a two-trick pony. You got a lot of speed in a forehand or a big serve in a forehand. Uh, but in doubles, you got to have every single shot. I think the more we run doubles up the flagpole, the better tennis will be at every single level, junior, college, and pros. Yeah, and a lot of the fans, or most of the fans who are there watching, probably play more doubles than singles, let's face it. You go out to any high school or club in the United States, Saturday morning at 10, every court is full of doubles matches, which is great. Now, I want to talk to you about being a parent in tennis. If we just look at the, the men's game at the moment, you've got Tsitsipas, Shapovalov, Zverev, you know, then you've got Uncle Tony, of course, and then yeah. Nadal camp. Um, give me an insight into the life of uh, a parent and, you know, looking after young, elite, professional uh, tennis players. Well, Seb, you've done your homework. I mean, three of the brightest prospects in tennis now are really from tennis families, where the dad and sometimes the mom as well coach uh, the, the kids. I mean, I, and I think that's wonderful. I think it should be a, a family sport. I think music, the greatest musicians come from musical families where the, where the mom or dad sings or plays an instrument and they become great. Rodeo stars come from parents who are rodeo. So it's only natural that, that, that parents who are in tennis want to share that with their kids. I think it's healthy and positive. People always say, what's the key? The great coach at Grambling, the football team, the great uh, famous Eddie Robinson, he said, Coaching is a profession of love. You know, to me, coaching is teaching, teaching is parenting, parenting is mentoring. It's really all the same. And the number one thing is you got to care about that child that you're entrusted with, whether it's a student or a niece or a nephew or your grandson or your son or daughter. Uh, if you care about them as a person first, what's best for this person, uh, for their life? If, if tennis fits in there and works in there beautifully and you care about them, not about winning or losing or being a pro, but you just care about them as a person, then the tennis can come along or the music can come along or the academics. But unconditional love is at the bedrock of all, I think, uh, parenting, coaching, teaching situations. So as a, as a good player yourself, when did you know, when did you see that Bob and Mike were you know, potentially going to make a, make a thing of this? Honestly, at six, um, they played in a 10-and-under tournament. It was the first tournament they ever played, and they both got to the finals, and, I, and, and it was a very tough field, and I thought, there's, there's no way they're going to win a match, and then, ba boom, they're both in the finals. And by the time they were eight, we had several hundred people that had already come up to us and said they're going to be the next great American doubles team. They're going to be number one in the world. They're going to win all the slams. I mean, when they were eight, it was being predicted. So I would be lying to you if I said what they've done surprised me. Uh, in, honest, in all honesty, it didn't because I knew the level of passion that they had. And I knew my wife and I weren't going to mess it up, you know, which we didn't. Uh, and we, we, we always took them to matches because I believe champions take it in through their eyes and not their ears. You have to see it before you can dream it. And you must be passionate about it before you can achieve it. They had the dream. They had the passion, they had some athletic ability, they had some coaching and this and that and the other. Uh, and they came from a great country and a great uh, city and town. So 
it really didn't surprise me that they did what they did. And did they aspire as young kids to be singles players, though? Or, did, or what, how, I mean, obviously the fact that they're twins lends itself to being a doubles team, but when did that happen? It's interesting because all their early dreams... Look, they were great singles players. Bob, Bob was number one in the U.S. in the juniors, uh, number one in college tennis. Mike was right behind They were right there. Uh, I mean, look, Bob beat Tim him at, at uh, Queens, for crying out loud, and mm-hmm. Mike beat Cedric Pialin when he was a top ten player. I mean, they can play singles for sure. But you know something? They loved playing doubles and you know what else people loved watching and them play in the juniors they drew crowds i mean there was no crowds at juniors but they would come out to watch the brian brothers play doubles in college they had huge crowds and the tour any place they play any country uh the stands will be full i think it sort of shaped them um the doubles they if you look at their early uh goals and dreams they said, we want to win the Wimbledon doubles. We want to win the U.S. Open doubles. We want to win the French. We want to be number one. We want to win the Davis Cup. We want to play a stand. Their, their real true dreams were about doubles because they just have that crazy bond. And you know something? They love being out there and playing. As happy as we were that Mike won Wimbledon with Jack Sock. I mean, of course, that's a joy. But it was tempered by the fact that Bob wasn't out there. So there was a certain sadness at the same time, there was joy. And I'm not knocking Jack in any way or shape or way. He's a wonderful player. But uh, it's a beautiful thing when the boys are out there playing. And when they were young, was there ever a, I don't know, a concern that in just doing tennis, 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 they were going to be you know, they were going to lack balance? Or, or did they do other things? Did they play other sports? Were, well, you, were you mindful that you needed them to be rounded sort of sportsmen as well? We really feel if you're going to be great, you've got to get after it. I mean, they were passionate. They wanted to be tennis pros since I'm six years old. So it's just they, tennis, tennis. They wanted to play at uh, Stanford. They want to play on the tour. They want to play. They had all these huge dreams. Well, you can't have these huge dreams if you're playing a lot of baseball, a lot of soccer, a lot of basketball, a lot of gymnastics, a lot of swimming. Did they do those things? Of course. They can swim. They can shoot baskets beautifully. They can play ping pong. They can play golf. They can hit a baseball. They can do it all. They just don't excel. They didn't go after that. They went after tennis in a passionate way. But they do have a secondary passion. And that is music. They're incredible musicians. Uh, They've got a great CD out. Uh, They've played with the best bands in the world, the best musicians. They have a five-piece band that will blow your mind. They play Indian Wells. They play Houston. They played Atlanta last week. They play all kind of places. So their secondary passion is not gymnastics or swimming or golf. It's music. Their third uh, passion was was their academics, which they went after because they wanted to go to Stanford. But the two biggest things, obviously, tennis and music. But they dabble in the other. I don't think that you can go after five different things and expect to be great because you're going to have what I call an athletic death when you get in school. You're going to go out on that basketball court, and here's this kid who's been playing only basketball since we're three, and you're going to compete against him. You're going to go out on the golf course and compete against Tiger Woods, who's been playing golf since he was three. I mean, you didn't know Tiger is a great baseball player, a football player, a tennis player. No. You know him as a great golfer. His skill level's off the off the hook, and I think that's the thing with the boys. They got an amazing skill level. There's a book called The Outlier saying you need 10,000 hours to be a champion. I think it's 30,000 hours. I think it's 30,000 hours. Because I, 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 I have looked at all the hours. I know how to. I knew how many hours they played at five, six, seven, right up until now, and it ain't 10,000. It's 30,000. Were they rivals as kids? All brothers battle for uh, parental love. All brothers battle each other. Uh, they would have some pretty bloody singles matches out at the club. We would never let them tell who won. We always make them go out on court 17, far away from the clubhouse. Uh, but we, but in in juniors, we always had one default to the other. I guess they were in three or four hundred singles finals, and we'd always have one defaulting to the other because you can't be number one in the world if you're number two in the bedroom. We, I've worked with many siblings, and sometimes the second sibling comes along, will beat that first sibling, and suddenly the second sibling rockets up and the first sibling goes down so we tried to keep them both up in the air and make them both equal because as the chart going forward does not go smoothly from one to a hundred it 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 undulates and goes up and down so if you say oh look at mike's up here today and bob's down here that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy if you amplify that so you got to just don't say a word to Mike and dust Bob off and say, let's get back out on the track. We'll do a little extra this week. Uh, this is a long story. I don't know if you got time for it. But we were in the backyard with a broom, and I threw Bob a tennis ball when he was about four years old. 
and he had a lucky swing and knocked a darn tennis ball with a broom handle 200 feet over our Chinese elm tree. I've never seen anything like it. An adult couldn't have done it. So Mike said, let me try, let me try. Well, what happened? I threw it to Mike, and he missed. And he missed, and he missed, and he missed. And he starts crying. He doesn't realize Bob was lucky. So I said, hey, Bob, get out of here. For three days, I'm out there throwing balls to Mike. Finally, he got lucky, too. Hit the damn thing 200 feet over the Chinese elm tree. I go, okay, you're just as good as Bob. Let's go on, you know. So that's the way things go. But you, I could have made that, oh, Bob, you're good. Oh, Mike, you're not good. And let that stick. And that would have been a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you got to be very careful. Uh, look, they got the same gene pool, the same DNA. They should be equal. But we worked very hard at making sure they were. If you ask them both today who's the best player, they'll each say they are. <laughs> Yokohama Mom, you've been making a great day. Thank, thank you for everything. You, thank, you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Lots of fans thanking you and saying they had a great time I, I wanted to ask you about the trophy uh, room it must be a, oh it, I mean where are they there must be hundreds of them in, in seven different places uh, you know every time you win a, a, a terminal tour you get this beautiful Waterford Crystal you know Waterford Crystal is not cheap go price it you know you, it, it isn't some bowl it, I mean I hate to say we put guacamole in those things but uh, I've got a tremendous amount of trophies and they have eight homes, and we got stuff stashed in, in, in warehouses, and I will never be able to. It's that we got an obscene amount of water for Crystal. But you're gonna keep, you, you've kept it all, which is the well, nice give thing. Give me the address, I'll be happy to send you 10 <laughs> or 15 items. If you ever get in a hard times, you can go hawk that stuff for 500 a copy, and you'll be fine. I'll give you my address, that would be great, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to ask you as well about yourself because you, you played. I heard you yeah. um, during the, the double show, Dan, you're saying you're on tour. You, you went to New Zealand as a player. Yeah, you, but I, mean, I, was a, I was just a, a, a donkey. I wasn't, you never heard of me. I mean, I was just a mediocre. I, hey, look, I played number one on my college team. I'm in the Hall of Fame for my college. I'm in three Hall of Fames. But uh, you're not going to read about me uh, in any pro record books. That's right. I was a mediocre pro player, low, low end. But, I mean, I'm a pretty good player. I, I know how to play. You know, I mean, I, I'm a good coach and blah blah blah. But uh, no, I was not a great player. And what, and what do you what do you do now? Uh, other, other than entertain people at, at tennis tournaments. Well, that's what I do. I, I MC events. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I just worked Washington D.C. last week. I worked Atlanta. I work Houston. I work Indian Wells. I work. I'll do a lot of my. I also do. A, I have a book. I speak. I coach kids over the phone because I don't have time to do. I just. I coach coaches. You know. And I also have a band, and I appear with that band a lot. But I usually have a microphone in one hand and a racket in the other, or a guitar, a set of drums, or a bit. But I love what I do. I love people, and I love to make tennis as fun as possible. And I'm proud to be Mike and Bob's dad, and we've had a lot of great times through the years. And I'm proud of how they are as people, not just players. Wayne, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. I could sit here for, for hours, but uh, we've both got to go and do some work, so we better go and do something. Always good to be with you, Seth. Thanks for all you do for tennis. Thank you. Well, I'm with Mike Bryan, and we've just had the double showdown with, uh, hosted, of course, by your your dad, Wayne. I think he's been doing it now for a few years here yeah. in Cincinnati. Such an introvert, your dad. Yeah, yeah, he's he's uh, he's been doing it for a long time. He he uh, he's the best in the business with a with a mic in his hand, uh, with big crowds. He can he can entertain a stadium full of a thousand people and make them all feel like they're having a good time. But it was another good day for the the double showdown. Had some of the best doubles players in the world out there uh, showing off their skills. It's great for the fans to come out and meet some of these guys, uh, maybe for the first time, and just get familiar with their faces. Um, so it was a successful day uh, out there on court four. And he was talking about Bob and the fact that he's had his surgery, of course, and uh, he's on a medicine ball and all the rest of it. It must yeah. be a, a funny time for you as well, playing with other people. But how is Bob? Bob's, uh, I talked to him today. He's really optimistic. It's been about 10 days since the surgery. He's walking without a cane, um, you know, not taking any anti-inflammatories or painkillers. So um, the doctor thinks he could be back on the court within 90 days, which is pretty amazing for the type of surgery he had. He had a, a metal piece put on the, the ball of his hip. So um, it didn't look pretty. I saw some of the nasty pictures from the surgery, and it looked pretty gruesome. But um, I'm, I'm happy he's feeling better. He's, uh, he's working hard in, in the gym. He's just rehabbing every day. So his, uh, his focus is to be back on the court uh, soon, as soon as possible. And in his absence, of course, you've gone on and, you know, you, you've won another Grand Slam. So now you've you got one more than he's got with Jack Sock. How, how was the magic feeling in Wimbledon? That must have been great. Yeah, it, it, was, it was great to win another Slam. I mean, I missed Bob and it was a little bittersweet, obviously doing it without him. And, but he was home um, supporting me as, 
talking to him every day and um, kind of did it for him. Felt like we were um, on the brink of, of doing something special. So, um, you know, did it with Jack, which was a magical run. Could have lost um, in every round there. We were down match points and you won three five setters. But uh, I guess it was meant to be. Hopefully Bob gets back out there and we can, you know, have one more big moment together, which, which is probably the goal for next year. So if Bob did make a miraculous comeback and he was available for London as the top-ranked pair, but then you've won Wimbledon with Jack, how does yeah. that work? You've got to pick one? Yeah, well, maybe I can play with two guys. I can play on, on separate days or maybe the morning match and the night match. And uh, if I play myself in the semis, one of us, one of myself will get through. But, um, yeah, that's a, that's a cool scenario, you know, to be in. Probably qualify with Bob and going to be in with Jack. So take my pick. But I have a feeling Bob might still be on the shelf. <laughs> Well, I'm delighted to talk with uh, Bruno Suarez and Jamie Murray here. And we're in the corridor where all of the fans wait for, uh, for the players to come through. Yeah, exactly, for the autographs. Bruno, uh, Jamie, huge congratulations. A, f a first Masters 1000 title together. Uh, you tell me what that means, Bruno. Well, it means a lot. That's why uh, we play tennis for, you know, to, to win the big ones. Uh, and this is one of them. Extremely happy, very tough week. Very tough weekend, uh, three champions breakers. But I mean, we're playing great. We've been playing great uh, since we got to, to DC and extremely happy with, uh, with everything. And uh, first title for us uh, for the 1000 event. Hopefully you can get uh, many more. Yeah, Jamie, you've, you've had a, a few finals at this, uh, this level, but you know, do, do they get a bit tougher, more riding on them each time? Yeah, look, I mean, for me to win my first Masters is obviously really exciting. Uh, I think me and Bruno, this was our fourth final maybe together. Uh, so, you know, awesome week for us. I mean, to win, you know, the matches that we did against, you know, all, all top teams that, you know, probably going to play in London. Um, you know, three champions tie breaks as well. And even in the first round, we won a tie break like 12-10 or something. So, you know, we played really good in the important moments, kept it together well. Um, you know, obviously had a bit of a setback at the, the end of the first set there, but held it, held it together. We came back strong in the second set and, you know, really happy with the way we finished the match. Well done, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much to Seb and everybody that we have heard from and who has been a part of ATP Tennis Radio during the Cincinnati Masters. That's it for this week's ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Don't forget to keep an eye on atpworldtour.com. You can find out results, what's going on. You can keep across everything that's happening in Flushing Meadows. If you'd like to give us a review, you can do that from your usual podcast provider. You can listen to ATP Tennis Radio 24-7 throughout the year. The next Masters for you will be Shanghai high finals of every 500 and I'll be back with you well it depends where you're listening to this so I won't say in a week's time I'll be back with you from Flushing Meadows as we preview the final Grand Slam of the year but until next time thank you very much for listening